Good morning, church family. Happy New Year. And congratulations are in order to you. So far in 2022, you have perfect worship attendance. Congratulations and keep up the good work. Uh, until about a year ago, I would run up the steps and onto the platform when I was sharing uh, from the Word of God that morning. <clears throat> then my family coerced me to buy some new, more stylish shoes. I didn't really understand what was wrong with the ones I had purchased for my graduation in 1982, <laughs> but I capitulated to their desires for me to have some more stylish shoes. It turns out the new, more stylish shoes have a longer toe than what I was used to, and the stairs have a lip that sticks out a little bit over the primary part of the step. And so about a year ago, I was running up onto the platform and my, the toe of my shoe met the lip of the stair and I went face first onto the platform. There was an audible gasp among my church family <gasps> and the silence was deafening. And I stood up and dusted myself off and walked over to the, the podium and I said something lighthearted to lighten the mood and when I did, everyone knew I was fine and then the laughter became deafening. The church family enjoyed my calamity of falling face first. One of the young ladies in our youth ministry at the time texted me later that afternoon to tell me that she had gotten the video offline downloaded to her phone. And she put my fall on a loop. And she was watching it over and over and over again and just couldn't stop laughing. I'm glad I can entertain you, Riley. So now I walk up the steps. But my enthusiasm to share God's word has not been tempered. This morning, I am thankful for the opportunity to share a message with you entitled, A Place in the Family. And though our text is 1 John 2, 12 to 14, you need not turn there yet. But that's where we will, that's the text we will walk through together as a family this morning. If you will allow me to introduce the message this way. In spite of the national and worldwide rhetoric that we hear constantly, in an effort to divide human beings based on perceived differences, whether those differences are economic status or intellect or skin color or elephants and donkeys or a host of other different categorizations, and you all could name several others, I'm sure, the most recent of which is probably vaxxed and unvaxxed. Culture and our world is separating people based on their vaccination status. But in spite of all this, in spite of all the categorizations that people tried to divide one another over, the biblical certainty is that there are exclusively two types of people in the world. The child of God and the child of Satan. Brothers and sisters, please know that this is indeed not an oversimplification. <clears throat> it is a spiritual reality. So in order to discern your place in the family, the per first priority would be to recognize to which family we may belong. So if you would, turn in your Bibles with me to John chapter 8. John chapter 8. <clears throat> we'll read together... <clears throat> excuse me... <clears throat> We'll read together verses 37 through 44, but let me encourage you at some point uh, soon 
to read the entirety of this context, verses 31 through 47, but for time's sake this morning, we'll just read verses 37 to 44, and I think you'll catch what Jesus is saying here. Beginning at verse 37, Jesus speaking says this, I know that you are Abraham's descendants, yet you seek to kill me because my word has no place in you. I speak the things which I have seen with my father, therefore you also do the things which you heard from your father. They answered and said to him, Abraham is our father. Jesus said to them, if you are Abraham's children, do the deeds of Abraham. But as that is, you are seeking to kill me, a man who's told you the truth, which I heard from God. This Abraham did not do. You are doing the deeds of your father. They said to him, we were not born of fornication. We have one father, God. Jesus said to them, if God were your father, you would love me. For I proceeded forth and have come from God. For I have not even come on my own initiative, but he sent me. Why do you not understand what I am saying? It is because you cannot hear my word. You are of your father, the devil, and you want to do the desires of your father. He was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in truth because there is no truth in him. Whenever he speaks a lie, he speaks from his own nature, for he is a liar and the father of lies. So what can we learn from this passage about the two distinctive families or two distinctive kingdoms that avail themselves to us? The two families are the two kingdoms. The entrance into the Satan's family is at conception. Every human being born is lost and a part of the family of Satan. Entrance into God's family or Christ's family is through repentance and faith in the blood of Jesus Christ. Then we see the king of each of these kingdoms or each of these families, Satan for, for one and Christ for the other. The citizens are the faithless, those who reject the Lord Jesus Christ. And the citizens in the kingdom of God are the surrendered, those who have surrendered to the person of Jesus Christ. Not just those who have said a prayer or walked an aisle, but those who have surrendered their lives to Jesus Christ. The law of the kingdom is lies for Satan. The law of the kingdom is the gospel of Jesus Christ for the kingdom of God and the destination is hell or heaven. So the spiritual reality is that those outside of a relationship with God the Father through repentance of sin and surrender to the Lord Jesus Christ are children of Satan. There are, spiritually speaking, only two families. It's paramount that we know to which family we belong. An emphasis of the Go groups that Pastor Jeff mentioned in the announcement earlier is, is that the ministry of church leadership is facilitating to assist in the development of genuine outreach in the lives of, of those with whom each of us have contact or interaction and also in, into our own specific communities. The desire is to prayerfully see God transfer people from faithful witness from the kingdom of darkness, from the kingdom of Satan, to the kingdom of light, to the kingdom of Christ, from the family of Satan to the family of God. That should be a passion for every one of us because biblical reality is there are only two families and if a person hasn't repented of their sin and by grace through faith received the forgiveness of the Lord Jesus Christ, they're still in the family of Satan. The groups are a fulfillment of the leadership's responsibility to facilitate, <clears throat> excuse me, to facilitate opportunities for the family of God to grow and to mature in our faith in this specific area of outreach. 
Though participation in a GO group is certainly not required, faithful outreach is required in order to be a faithful disciple of Jesus Christ. Seeking to equip the saints for the work of the ministry is obedient church leadership. And we can praise God that we have obedient church leaders who are seeking to equip the saints for the work of the ministry. Listen to Paul's prayer with me for the spiritual growth in those who have been adopted. Those who have been transferred through repentance and faith in Jesus Christ. And you need not turn there. It's interesting how God works things together. Because Brother Ryan and I didn't coordinate at all. But Brian, uh, Brother Ryan read from Colossians chapter 1 beginning at verse 15. The text I'm going to read for us this morning right now is Colossians chapter 1 verses 9 through 14. And this is Paul's prayer for the church at Colossae for them to grow in their faith. Since he had heard of their faith, his prayer was for them to grow. Please listen carefully to the words of this prayer. Paul says this, For this reason also, since the day we heard of it, we have not ceased to pray for you and ask, here's the prayer, that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding, so that you will walk in a manner worthy of the Lord to please him in all respects, bearing fruit in every good work, and increasing in the knowledge of God. You see, the purpose for understanding the word of God, the purpose for being taught, and the purpose for learning the truths of the word of God isn't so we can claim we have a greater knowledge. It is so that we can please him in all respects, bearing fruit in every good work. It's about life application. That's why we are to learn and understand and apply the word of God. And Paul goes on to say this. Strengthened with all power according to his glorious might for the attaining of all steadfastness and patience, joyously giving thanks to the Father. Now listen to what God has done to transfer someone from the family of Satan to the family of God. Listen to the truths of this prayer. Giving thanks to the Father who has qualified us to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. For he rescued us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. You see what God has done and only God can do. He, he qualified us. We're unqualified to be a part of the family of God outside of the blood of Jesus Christ. And God qualifies us, he rescues us, and he transfers us. And this should be our passion as we seek to reach people with the gospel of Christ, to see him do the same in the lives of other people who are still a part of the family of Satan. We need to pray that God will qualify them, that he will rescue them, and that he will transfer them into the family of God where we can receive them and worship with them and encourage them to grow. So as we embark on the year 2022, it's easy to say, isn't it? As we embark on the year 2022, may I encourage each of us to make an honest assessment as to which family we belong now, please understand, and I think most of us do, salvation is not a walk down an aisle. It's not church membership. It's not having been baptized when you're seven. Salvation is surrender of our life to the Lord Jesus Christ. And that's the assessment we each need to make to determine to which family we belong. And to honor Christ will be a genuine desire that every true disciple has. The remainder of today's message then is to the family of God. It's to the Christian family. It's about spiritual growth. And growth can only take place where there is spiritual life. So if our marching orders from our king as individuals and as a family 
If our marching orders are to make disciples, and they are, then we would be wise to seek to strengthen our family in order to enhance our opportunity to be effective in doing so. So how do we do that? First, we must recognize this theme, that there are different statures among the family of God based upon spiritual maturity. Now, please know this and understand this definition. Stature is quality or status gained by growth and development. Stature has absolutely nothing to do with value or um, honor. Stature has to do with our growth and our maturity. Value and worth is the word I was trying to say. It has nothing to do with value and worth. My family, by God's grace, my immediate family has all been gathered together in the Kalamazoo area. Now there are seven of us in our immediate family. No one is more important than any other. No one is more valuable than any other. We're all completely equal in our family. We do have different statures. We have different roles. We have different responsibilities. But all of us are equally valuable. And the same thing is true in the family of God. There is no one more important than anyone else. But through growth and spiritual maturity, there are different statures. And we'll see that from our primary text this morning. So if you would turn with me to 1 John chapter 2. 1 John chapter 2, our text will be verses 12 through 14. And if you are able, please stand with me in reverence for the word of God and the God who has provided and preserved his word for us. 1 John chapter 2, verses 12 through 14. The apostle John says this, I am writing to you, little children, because your sins have been forgiven you for his namesake. I am writing to you, fathers, because you know him who has been from the beginning. I am writing to you, young men, because you have overcome the evil one. I have written to you, children, because you know the Father. I have written to you, fathers, because you know him who has been from the beginning. I have written to you, young men, because you are strong. The word of God abides in you, and you have overcome the evil one. Please be seated. Let's pray together as we begin to look at this text father we thank you and praise you that you are god and there is none else we thank you father that you are not only holy majestic and sovereign god of the universe but because of your love grace and mercy because of the sacrifice the blood of christ for the forgiveness of our sins because you have qualified us rescued us and transferred us into your family we not only know you as holy sovereign majestic god but we know you as our father, as our daddy. My father, I pray that you would help us to understand the intimacy of that relationship that you desire and that you would allow us through the power of your spirit to desire it as well. Father, this morning I share as I do every time that I have opportunity to speak that there is absolutely nothing in or of myself that has any spiritual value to be shared with those who are here gathered to worship and glorify you outside of your spirit working in me and through me and outside of the truths of your word. So I pray, Father, that you would use me simply as a vessel in your hand, as a conduit for your spirit to speak and to be our teacher. Because the only way we ever learn spiritual truth is never from a human being, but only through the the power of your spirit who is our spiritual teacher. And Father, through this time, we pray that you and you alone would be honored and glorified, for you alone are worthy. We love you, Lord, and praise you. 
We ask these things in Jesus' precious and wonderful name. And all God's children said, amen. Point number one of our message as we walk through the text this morning is this. Those who have not yet grown in stature are little children. I'm going to read for you again from the text, 1 John chapter 2, verses 12 to 14, just the phrases or the sentences that reference specifically this aspect or this point of the message, the little children. The Apostle John writes this in verse 12, I am writing to you, little children, because your sins have been forgiven you for his name's sake. And then in verse 13, he says this, I have written to you, children, because you know the Father. Now, I am not really all that excited about this, and it hasn't really impacted our lives that much, but many of you may be aware that Laura and I have our first grandson. I think you caught the sarcasm in that statement, didn't you? As I share some of the things about uh, our first grandson, I, I would encourage you to think through the, the parallel application of what this looks like in the family of God. We have our first grandson in our physical, biological family. Think about the parallels as I share a couple of these things about what that looks like in the family of God. There was the precious and overwhelming time about eight and a half months ago of bringing home a newborn baby. We were so excited and so much in prayer and so anxious for uh, Jake and Brooke to bring the baby home from the hospital when he was born. Think about what that should look like in the family of God. There should be that same passion, that same enthusiasm, even a greater passion and a greater enthusiasm to see God rescue, qualify and rescue and transfer a person who's in the family of Satan to be a part of the family of God. That same passion, and most of you understand it, you've either brought home a child or a grandchild and and you understand the joy and the passion of what that's like. And the same thing should be true. A, A greater expression of that joy should be evident when someone is brought into the family of God by grace through faith in Jesus Christ. Then there's the excitement as literally everything is brand new to him. No matter what he does, where he goes, or what he sees, it's absolutely brand new. He's never seen it before. That's really cool. To watch the expression in his face and and to see his eyes light up. My wife has this little trinket that we've had since our children were tiny, some 35 30 to 35 years ago, that's uh, ice skaters, little figurines that are ice skaters on this wind-up glass mirror. And when you wind up the glass mirror, it creates a a magnet moving, and there's a little magnet on the bottom of the ice skaters, and the ice skaters spin around this little trinket. And we wound that up and sat our grandson in front of it and let him watch it, and his eyes lit up like, dude, how is that happening? I don't really know that's what he said in his mind, but something along those lines. But everything is brand new, and so is the case in the life of a newborn believer in Jesus Christ. And we need to understand that. We should have no expectations of them to understand what maybe we understand, having been in the family of God for 30 years. They're brand new. Everything is new to them, and it should bring great excitement to see their eyes light up when they learn a new biblical truth, a a new spiritual truth, a new truth about the person of God and the person of Jesus Christ and the person of the Holy Spirit. And then there's the anticipated and expected growth to maturity. And with that growth will come stature, and ultimately our greatest desire is that eventually the Spirit of God will grasp the heart of our grandson and 
he will repent of his sin and be removed and transferred from the family of Satan to the family of God and become a disciple maker himself. And growth is expected in God's family as well. God's desires are the same and so are his expectations. Spiritual growth and maturity are expected and commanded for those who've been genuinely adopted into or transferred into the family of God. So whether physically in a biological family or spiritually in the family of God, if there is no growth in the life of that individual, there is cause for grave concern. As we look at the growth stages in the family of God, we will notice that with growth comes stature. Once an individual is transferred into the kingdom of Christ, they begin their life in the family of God as a little child. In verse 12, the word for children is technion, and it's a general word for child, and I believe perhaps referencing an infant here, perhaps a new Christian convert, I believe that's a legitimate understanding from the context because in verse 12 it says the little children's sins are forgiven. And that's the first step. That's the transfer of someone from a child of Satan to a child of God is their sins have to be forgiven. And when their sins are forgiven through the blood of Jesus Christ and only through repentance and faith in the blood of Jesus Christ, they're transferred, their sins are forgiven. In the text, the word forgiven in the original language means to send off or send away. It's a verb. Their sins, our sins, have been sent off or sent away through the blood of Christ. and We've been adopted or transferred in the family of God. As a believer in Christ, you are brought home to be placed into the family of God and removed from the family of Satan. So ask yourself this question. If you're completely confident that you've repented of your sin and you know Christ as your Lord and Savior, ask yourself this question. Am I growing? Am I maturing? Am I being conformed? to the image of Jesus Christ? Have you gained any standing other than being a member of the family, which is a wonderful and joyous blessing? The technion, the little child, won't be given any responsibilities or asked to make any decisions, but they are definitively part of the family of God. Our grandson hasn't been asked to do anything yet because he's not capable, but he is definitively a part of the family. This is a stage of maturity in which we may want to hurry things up a little bit, ask this new believer to do things that maybe they are not ready to do. Most of you have probably heard testimonies I have that someone repents and receives Christ genuinely this Sunday and next Sunday they're the full-time eighth grade teacher. That's not okay. That's not how it's supposed to work. They haven't reached that stature yet. Let me share with you a couple personal examples that I think you'll understand very, very well, and then transfer and and see the parallels from these personal applications to the spiritual aspect of the family of God. I'm very excited about assisting in the discipleship of my grandson, JT. The thoughts of being able to teach him the word of God as we, as we rise up or as we sit down or as we uh, are in the house or in the car or wherever we are. Deuteronomy chapter 6, there's, every opportunity is a teaching opportunity. And our passion, my wife and I, our passion is to point him to the Lord Jesus Christ in everything we do. And we're so excited about those opportunities. We've, we've taken opportunities, some already, with no verbal response from him, so we don't know what he's thinking. But we're taking those opportunities already, but we're so excited about the opportunity. And please understand, 
church family that it is our responsibility in our biological families not only to disciple our children but to assist in discipling our grandchildren as well you have a role grandparents and you are called to be responsible in that role and Laura and I are passionately excited about that opportunity because God has brought us into a, a vicinity into a location where we can do that more effectively I also can't wait to teach him sports my family is a sports family we enjoy pretty much every sport. Uh, the, those who are still younger than me enjoy participating. I still do, but my body doesn't. And so I like to teach and have coached a lot of sports, but I'm so excited about teaching my grandson how to, to play ball. Or I'm, I can't wait until the first time we can play catch together. So when he was about five months old and still completely immobile, I decided I was going to teach him to play catch. So I got a Nerf ball about this big, and I talked him completely through the process. He's sitting in his car seat, five months old, not, not doing anything because he couldn't. But I talked him completely through the process of how to catch a ball and how to throw a ball. I encouraged him that he could do it. I tried to build up his confidence that he was able to do this with me, and I backed up a few feet, and I threw the ball at him, and it hit him right here in the forehead. The only movement I got from him was a recoil when the ball hit him in the head. Ooh. And then he looked at me like, what are you doing, Papa? And so I, I was disappointed because I want him to be a good athlete. And he didn't catch the ball. And so I said, come on, man. You can do this. So I backed up and walked through the process with him again on how to catch the ball and threw it again and had the same, same result. He just wasn't ready. So what will we do? We'll walk him through it. As he learns and develops and as he matures, matures, we'll show him how. We'll show him the right way. We'll encourage him and, and teach him and we'll, we'll always be there for him. So think about that with me on a spiritual level. On a spiritual level, what is being there for him? What is walking with him? What is teaching him and showing him the right way? What is always being available to help him understand? It's disciple making. It's what God has called all of us to do for one another in the family of God. I'll walk with you through the process of growth and maturity. I'll walk with you is a terminology, a phrase you'll hear early and often as we seek to allow God to have disciple-making become the DNA of Calvary Bible Church, and we'll talk more about that later. I'll walk with you. Just so you know, I didn't really do that with JT with the Nerf ball. I did not hit him in the head with a Nerf ball. I may have done something similar with my son with a real baseball when he was that age, but I didn't do anything like that with JT. For clarification purposes, please know that no actual infants were harmed in the, in the fabrication of this illustration. Nobody was hurt. <laughs> so here are some character traits. What does an infant character trait look like? An infant is ignorant. Now that doesn't mean dumb or stupid. It means unlearned. They haven't learned anything yet. JT can't play catch with me because he hasn't learned how. He's ignorant of the process of how to play catch. He's confused, especially if I would hit him in the head with a ball. And he's very dependent. 
We haven't asked him to change his own diaper. We haven't asked him to make his own meals. We haven't asked him to do anything like that because he is an infant and then there are infant characteristics. And the same thing is true in the family of God. When someone receives Christ as their Lord and Savior, they are adopted into the family of God. They are rescued, qualified, and transferred as an infant in the family of God. And we should have the same thought processes about them with a passionate desire to come alongside them and say, I'll walk with you. Let me help you learn. Let me help you understand how. As an infant learns to feed himself, it's quite messy, isn't it? I have been very uncomfortable when Jake and Brooke have allowed JT to start feeding himself and he puts it everywhere except in his mouth. It's not pleasant to watch. Some people enjoy watching it and think it's funny. It's gross to me. And the same thing is true when a new believer begins feeding themselves on the word of God. It can be kind of messy because they may not quite understand. JT hasn't developed the, <clears throat> the hand-eye coordination to, to grab the thing off of the tray in, in his hand and bring it straight to his mouth. Sometimes he puts it on his forehead or on his nose. And the same thing is true with a new believer in the word of God. They may not have quite yet developed the understanding of how to make application of the truth that they're learning and they're reading. So you know what we need to do? We need to come alongside them and say, I'll walk with you. Let me help you. Let me show you. Is it a sacrifice when you have a newborn baby in your home? We could ask my daughter. We don't do the in-law thing at my house. So my daughter, Brooke, we could ask her, is it a sacrifice to get up at 3 o'clock every morning and feed the baby? Yes, it is. Is the sacrifice worth it? Yes, definitely it is. Is it a sacrifice to walk alongside another brother or sister in Christ and help be their disciple maker? Yes, it is. Is it worth it? Yes, it is. It is worth it. So as he learns to feed himself, it can be quite messy. One more illustration about the grandson, and he'll be done with our parallels for this morning. On Christmas Day, JT was at our house. Our whole family was at our house on Christmas Day. And JT is eight and a half months old now, has learned to crawl, and he's all over the place. He can pull himself up on anything and stand. And he's very proud of being able to stand because he'll pull himself up on anything and then stare at you and say, did you see what I did? So he was standing against the couch on Christmas Day looking straight at me. And, and I'm very excited because he seems at this point... I may be a little biased, but he seems to have an admiration and an appreciation for Papa. So he's looking at me, just thinking, are you proud of me for standing here like this? And I said, hey, let go of that couch and walk over here. Now, he's just learned to crawl, so he's not ready to walk. But he looked at me when I said that. And this is a, not a fabricated illustration. This one is true. This one actually happened. And he looked at me for a few moments, and he, he stared at me. And then all of a sudden, he let go of the couch. And he was standing on his own. And... He let go of the couch, and I said, come on over here, walk over here, and, and he fell on the ground. He didn't even take one step toward me. He just fell on the ground. Why? It was funny because when he fell on the ground, his dad said, that'll teach you not to trust your papa. <laughs> but why didn't he walk? He didn't walk because he's not ready. He hasn't yet learned to walk. And as he learns, he will need us to walk with him. So that's what I tell him. Come on, buddy, I'll, I'll show you how I'll walk with you. And on a spiritual level, folks, that's discipleship. 
our grandson needs his parents and he needs his grandparents and he needs his aunt and uncle in his life to help him learn. Our brothers and sisters in Christ, folks, need you and I in their lives to help them learn. And listen, we need them as well to help us learn. These are the characteristics of an infant. In verse 13, the word for children is a different word. It's paidon, a childling or a half-grown boy or girl. This is an immature but a growing Christian. And it says, uh, John writes to the children and he says, uh, you have known the Father. They have come to know the Father through fellowship with him. How do you get to know someone? You spend time with them. The father gets to know his son or a son gets to know his father by spending time with them. So they spend time with God in his word and they're growing and maturing in their faith. They've not yet attained much stature, but are growing in their knowledge of the father. They're not yet making decisions, but they should be given some responsibilities. And that's a, a free parenting tip this morning. If you have a, a toddler or a child in your home of elementary ages, give them some responsibilities. Help them understand that they're a valuable part of your family. They're capable of doing some things. Don't do everything for them. Here are some characteristics of a child or a toddler. They are self-centered and self-absorbed. That's mine. How does this affect me? Is this best for me? What about me? That's the mindset of not only a physical child or toddler, that's the mindset of a spiritual child or toddler. They've grown some, but they haven't gotten past the idea that everything is supposed to be about me. May I say this as lovingly as I can, our walk with Christ and our responsibility to make disciples is not about us. It's about the glory of God and the ministry of helping others follow more closely to Christ as we allow others to help us follow more closely to Christ. The child or toddler characteristics are prideful. They have a low view of self and they're still interdependent. There are some things they can do on their own and they should be encouraged and allowed to do so. But there are some things they still have not reached the, the stature where they're able to do that. In the last day's newsletter, Leonard Ravenhill tells about a group of tourists visiting a picturesque village who walked by an old man sitting beside a fence. In a rather patronizing way, one of the tourists asked, were any great men born in this village? The old man replied, nope, just babies. <laughs> See, it was a, a frothy question, but it brought a profound answer. There are no instant heroes, whether in this world or in the kingdom of God. Growth takes time. And the same thing is true with the spiritual family. Folks, we must understand if someone is a newborn believer in Christ, we need to encourage them and walk with them as they grow and understand there will be growing pains. There are difficulties as we try to teach our grandson things and he isn't yet capable of doing those things. I wish he could. I wish we could go outside as soon as the spring comes and start playing catch and and I throw him a football and just do those things. But he's not going to be ready yet because growth takes time both in the physical and the spiritual realm. Point number two is those who are strong and maturing in their stature are young men. I'll do the same for this point from the text. Reading verses 13 where it talks about the young men. The apostle John writes this. I am writing to you young men because you have overcome the evil one. And in verse 14... I have written to you, young men, because you are strong. The word of God abides in you, and you have overcome the evil one. 
young men here is, are those who are maturing in Christ, those who display knowledge, judgment, and sound discernment. Titus refers to this characteristic as being sober-minded. They have the ability to think clearly and to reason based on a biblical worldview, based on what the Word of God teaches. They have the ability, the ability to discern between good and evil because they are growing up in Christ. They're maturing in their walk with Christ. They're spending time with the Father and learning the truths of His Word. And the Apostle John says this, I'm writing to you, young men, because you have overcome the evil one. The word overcome means to subdue. Those who are maturing in their faith, they become well-versed in Scripture, and they walk closely in their fellowship with Christ. They know how to use their weapon of offense, the Word of God, Hebrews 4.12, and they can subdue the enemy. In verse 14, it says, you are strong. The word of God abides in you and you have overcome the evil one. The evil one in that verse is the original paneros and it means hurtful or evil and influence. Please grasp this truth because it's important. This word doesn't refer to Satan's character. It refer refers to his influence. It's also defined as calamitous, ill, diseased, morally culpable, derelict, vicious, and malicious. Is this an influence we should desire to overcome? Is this an influence we see every moment of every day in the world that's ruled by the prince of the power of the air? This is the influence that we see all the time. And Satan's desire is that this worldly influence will affect our lives as followers of Christ. And if we are allowing ourselves to be in the word of God and growing and maturing and allow someone to come into our lives to help disciple us, we'll be able to be strong and overcome the influence of the enemy and that should be our passion and our desire and then he says you are strong look at verse 14 with me i have written to you young men because you are strong and they're strong because the word of god abides in them and the word of god abides in them and makes them strong and makes them able to overcome the evil one that's how we overcome the influences of demonic forces through the truths of the word of god abiding remaining in us. Let's look at some character traits very quickly of a young man. A young man is action and service oriented. A young man is zealous. He's God and other centered. You can tell when a person is maturing in their faith from infant or child or toddler status to young man status because the questions change. It's no longer, how does this affect me? Is this best for me? Are the times of the services exactly what I want? It changes to, is this best for the glory of God? Does this better impact the rest of our church family? How can I serve other people? So you see, they become God and others centered, not self-centered like a toddler or a child is. And it's a stature. It takes time. And there's growth involved. And we need to walk with one another to help each other grow to these points. They become independent. A young adult is capable of doing anything that needs to be done for himself. Now, I didn't say they were willing. If you have teenagers at home, you know this to be true. They're capable, may not be willing. So as they mature in their faith, they become independent. They learn how, they've learned how to feed themselves on the truths of God's word. Finally, the third point for this morning is those who have reached the greatest stature are the fathers. Actually, for our sake and understanding the truth, the better word is parents because a father, a parent reproduces, fathers reproduce as well, otherwise they're not a father. But I, I like to use the word parents. Those who have reached the greatest stature are 
the parents or the fathers. Verse 13, I'm writing to you, fathers, because you know him who has been from the beginning. And verse 14, I have written to you, fathers, because you know him who has been from the beginning. Do you notice the only time that the exact repetition of why John says he's writing to them, the exact repetition is only for the fathers. The others changed a little bit in what John said. This one is exactly the same. You know him who has been from the beginning. This is the highest station or stature of the Christian life. These are the seniors in Christianity. These are the Christians who have knowledge, wisdom, and discernment, and the experience of spiritual battles and conquests of Satan's temptations from which to draw. And John acknowledges this and congratulates them. And you know what he says? You know Christ. You know Jesus Christ. Let me read quickly Philippians chapter 3, verses 8 to 10, a, a text that you're all very familiar with. Yet indeed, Paul writes this to the Philippians, Yet indeed, I also count all things loss for the excellence of the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord. What did Paul passionately desire to know more of? Not changing the oil in the car, not teaching his grandson how to throw a baseball, the person of Jesus Christ my Lord. Those things, other things are not bad, but they're not a priority. The priority is the knowledge of Jesus Christ. Paul goes on to say this, For whom I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish, that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having my own righteousness, which is from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness which is from God by faith, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection, the fellowship of his sufferings, being conformed to his death. This is Christian maturity, knowing Jesus Christ. Be assured, however, that these Christians, though, have not yet arrived. They still stand in need of instruction. A disciple is never too mature to learn. Spiritual sanctification, the spiritual growth process, is a lifelong process. None of us, no matter what our spiritual stature, no matter how long we've been a believer, none of us have arrived. Let's look at some characteristics of a father. They're intentional and strategic. They have a purpose. They have a biblical worldview. Everything they do is centered around knowing Christ and imparting the knowledge of Christ to other people. That's the priority. They are reproduction-minded. They are disciple-makers. They are investing their life in other followers of Jesus Christ. They're team and unity-minded. It's not about me. It's about what's best for everyone else. And they are dependable. If they tell you they'll be somewhere at a certain time or do something, they will be there or do it. You don't ever have to question. You don't ever have to wonder because they're dependable. They have matured in their faith. If it's all right, I'd like to conclude our message this way. God doesn't expect us to be born into his family and not grow any more than we bring home a newborn baby desire for that baby to be in the crib and on the bottle for the rest of his life. We must, as individual disciples of Jesus Christ, be constantly progressing and maturing through these stages of growth. The church must be intentionally designed as the family of God to enhance the opportunities to grow, availing intentional and specific venues for each stage of spiritual growth and development. It's the church's responsibility to make sure we provide opportunities for spiritual growth and discipleship, disciple-making. 
However, it must be the volition of the individual to avail themselves to these growth opportunities. The church can make anything available to you, and we have a responsibility to do so. But unless an individual decides to take, to, to take advantage of that opportunity, it's not going to impact their life. Facilitating opportunities is a responsibility of the church leadership. Availing themselves to those opportunities is the responsibility of the church family. May it be our responsibility, may it be our goal, may it be our heart and desire to surrender to our Lord to be ever advancing in stature. Ever advancing in the grace and knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. Grace and knowledge, please grasp this. Grace and knowledge that manifests itself in life, choice, life, life choices. And if that's your desire, we will walk with you. Because that's disciple making. We don't have time to talk about it, but verses 15 through 17 talk about one way that we know we're growing. If we love the world less, the command is to, to love not the world nor the things of the world. So you can evaluate in one very specific way, how much do we still love the world? How much of the world, how much does the world still have of us? I said a moment ago that those who have matured to the stage of parent have not yet arrived. Until we pass from this life to the next, we will and should constantly be a maturing, growing disciple of Jesus Christ. On November 18th, the Thursday before Thanksgiving, I preached in the funeral of a dear friend and brother in Jesus Christ. Chris Williams passed at age 43. He left a wife and two sons, seventh grade and fifth grade behind. I had the privilege to disciple with Chris for the last three years that I was in Ohio. I was able to, him, to encourage him and, and he to encourage me as we walked through these stages of spiritual growth. When we began meeting, Chris was not completely convinced of his salvation, of his faith. And as we spent time in the Word, he began to make the changes that indicated he truly was a disciple of Jesus Christ. In summation, Jesus began to be the genuine priority in his life, began leading his family that way. Worship and service became a priority over relaxation and leisure. Family devotions and spiritual training became priority over school and community activities and sports schedules. Just a few months prior to his home going, Chris became a disciple maker himself, walking with others and learning to more closely follow Jesus Christ. The comforting joy and sharing at his funeral that day, the comfort and joy, comforting joy in speaking about Chris this morning is that Chris, Chris has reached the ultimate stage of discipleship. I didn't add this to our slides, but Chris Williams is a completed disciple. There is no longer any reason for Chris to grow and mature. He's stepped out of this world and into glory with complete maturity, complete understanding, complete conformity to the person of Jesus Christ. Chris indeed has arrived. This is the eventual destination for all of us who are in the family of God. May we walk with you in 2022 to conform to the image of Christ until we arrive home. Go and make disciples, and I will walk with you. Let's pray together. 
Father, we thank you and praise you that you alone are God. Father, I think of those in my life who my wife and I have been praying for to be rescued, to be qualified, and to be transferred from the family of Satan into the family of God. And I pray, Father, for those in our church family this morning who are here and have people in their life who they passionately desire to see transferred from Satan's kingdom to, to yours. I pray, Father, that you would allow us opportunities to minister the gospel of Jesus Christ to them. And Father, if there's one here this morning who is not sure, not certain, they know maybe they've never surrendered to the Lord Jesus Christ, I pray today would be their day of salvation. And Father, for the rest of us, I pray that you would burden and convict our hearts the power of your Holy Spirit, beginning in my very own heart, that we would have a passionate desire to grow, Father, in 2022, that this would be, as we look back on 2022, the year of the greatest growth and maturation in our spiritual life up to this point in our lives together. And Father, help us to walk with one another through our spiritual sanctification. We love you, Lord, and praise you and ask these things in Jesus' name.